0: Tim, mate, before we get started with uh, the podcast, can you just check uh, the Black Friday deals? Because I think I was looking... You've, you've set them as 50% off. Is that right? Pardon? 50, 50% off all of the programmes because that makes Bodyweight Basics just £12.50. You, you sure? And then and then the 50% off the memberships until the end of the year. So two months at heart... So you, you'd get two months at half price in November and December to take you into 2021. Well that'd be a nice end to the end to this year, wouldn't it? Um so that's and and if that so that's 4.99 for just a, for the standard membership for those two months. Wow. Hey guys, yes, this is the Black Friday deals. Black Friday has started for the school 50% off every single program that we have. That includes the nutrition course as well. Um, So Bodyweight Basics is just £12.50. The Handstand Programme, the Muscle Up Programme, they're just £25. Um, Check the details out. The links are in the show notes. But you can also join our Membership so you get 50% off all those until next year. So that's your November and your December month for just £4.99 if you take up the standard Membership or £12.50 if you take up the VIP. So Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast, but also take up some of those beautiful Black Friday deals. That is going to end on the 30th of November.
1: Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jackal.
2: Now I'm going to put it out there. This is one of the most important subjects that we've spoken about on the podcast in recent times. And that's not to say that what we normally talk about is not important, but this one struck a proper chord with Jacko and I. We were really excited to welcome our resident doctor, Sally Bell, back onto the podcast for a third visit. I mean, that's how good she is. Not many people get invited (laughs) back that frequently. But she brought with her Peter from Piper's Farm. Now, Peter runs a farm down in Devon, which is focused on sustainable farming practices and regenerative approach to farming. And this is an absolute game changer for the farming industry and because it's a farming industry, it affects directly where our food come from, comes from, how we eat. We all need to get educated on this subject and understand how we can improve our purchasing decisions to enhance the quality and the industry which generates everything which keeps us alive. Yeah, as, as Tim said, like this
0: the handstands are important, Tim, but there's some things in life that are even more. But the subject that we're talking about today is affecting what you put inside your body so it's affecting you and your long-term health but it's also affecting what we are doing uh, to the planet and to to literally the earth itself um if anyone's watched the um, netflix um documentary kiss the uh, kiss the ground will uh, w- w- sort of that that sort of has sparked um this interest and then having spoken with sally we were like we need to talk about this on the podcast and we need to get someone from the from the farming industry to give us that insight from those different angles so you get some, you get different angles um on this um, which is it's not one of those sort of hot topics or fad things that's going to like come and go it is something that if we don't do anything about it it's affecting our long-term health and the health and the sort of longevity of the planet itself so you're in for a real treat with this one but um, there's uh, I guess my my biggest encouragement for everyone is that we need to take this, and you're going to probably have to go and think about it and, you, and, and look into some of these uh, things of where are you getting your food from and a little bit of work on our side to, to make sure that we are doing the right things for ourselves and for our planet.
2: Let me just highlight one fact, Jack, which blew my mind when oh, we were talking on, to Peter. I, was, I suppose my mum's a farmer's daughter, which I talk about a little bit in the podcast, but 40 years ago, having a chicken... One chicken was a luxury. That was like a special mm. occasion. Maybe have a chicken for Christmas and the rest of the time you didn't eat chicken. There's a farm near Peter's that are producing 1.5 million chickens uh-huh. per week. Talk to me about yeah. how things have changed. That blew my uh, mind as, been, as a quality yeah. of what we're getting. So that hopefully that's going like to just whet your appetite a little bit for what we've got coming off in the podcast. But before we get into that, we've got a little bit of something to tell you about. Yes,
0: we have a new sponsor for uh, today's podcast and that is Hemp Heroes who produce... uh High quality, 100% organic CBD oil and it is a product that I've been using. I've been speaking to David, one of the owners, for quite some time now for about the last two months, been using the product. It's something that I've wanted to try out but wanted to make sure that the product that I was using, as you can imagine, was safe and legal and of the highest quality. And so having spoken with uh, David from Hemp Heroes, um, I've been trying this out for the last sort of about two months now and feeling um, the great benefits, particularly on recovery and sl- And uh, I don't know if anyone else out there who doesn't like having a better night's sleep and don't feel better in the morning because of that. So this is something that I've been using myself um, for the last couple of months and really enjoying the benefits of the products.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can take it with full confidence. It's a premium, full-spectrum extract of CBD oil, which is industry gold standard. As Jacko says, 100% natural, organic, and suitable for vegans and vegetarians. And you can engage in, in the number of different products that they've got, from oils to tablets, whatever suits you, to help you to take advantage of the benefits of CBD oil. And a little anecdote, Jacko. it was bonfire night recently. My dog has indulged in those benefits because he absolutely bricks himself during fireworks. A little bit of CBD oil calmed him right down.
0: And what did, what did you give him? Because we've tried a few of the different ones. What did you actually give him? The oil. The oil, yeah. yeah. I've been using their the the, the max strength um, oil just before um, bed. And uh, just like uh, Link your dog, I've been... Uh, been having a nice, relaxing sleep on the back of it. I mean, and it's worth so noting, everybody... he's
2: a golden retriever, so he would literally have had anything. He would all have had all of it. He's like a dustbin. <laughs> so I could try, next time, we can try the gummies. Yeah, don't, don't give him too much.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, there is, obviously, as you can imagine, for you podcast listeners, there is an offer on their product. So you use the code SOC10, so that's SOC10, for 10% off any of the products on Hemp Heroes' website. And the website, the link will be in the show notes, but it's hempheroes.co.uk.
2: All right perfect. now sit back, take some notes, get a coffee or something, hot beverage of choice, and just let this one sink in. listen to it, do something with it. That is our, our request for today. Roll that jingle.
0: So today we have a very special podcast because it's the first time we've had a uh, a quadrant or a uh, quadruple or have you got any other four words, Tim? I'm leaving you on that one, Jacko. Um, Because the first time I've had four um, people on the podcast, so we've got two guests room for a right treat. A lot of you will know uh, Dr. Sally Bell from some of our previous podcasts. We also have Peter Gregg, which is a farmer from... um, at Piper's Farm and uh, we're just going to give you the chance to just um, welcome each of you and then we'll dive into uh, some of the important topics around uh, the quality of our food, uh, the effect that's having on our health and the effect that's having on our planet. So uh, Sally just want to say uh, hello to the listeners again and for the one person that wasn't listening to some of the other podcasts just a real snapshot of um, your background and where you're coming at this from.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a real joy to be with you today. And actually, this is the merging of two of my worlds, actually, so sort of my farming food world. And uh, I've had the privilege of spending time with Peter and then with you guys who I've known over the years. And so it's wonderful to uh, all be together around the table. And um, so I'm Dr. Sally. I'm the founder of Dr. Sally Bell. I'm a medical doctor for the last 21 years And I use an approach to health that focuses on you and not your disease. It looks at root cause instead of treating symptoms, and it considers the whole of you instead of the part of you. And I use a five-foundation framework that guides people back to health, which looks at sleep, movement, rest, connection and nutrition and I have a small clinic and I'm currently working on uh, making my message uh, more accessible to a wider audience and my heart and passion is to put health back into people's hands
0: and uh, we'll definitely we're definitely uh, the health aspect today is what's uh, right up on the top of the agenda. Uh Peter, we just want to uh, welcome you. Thank you for your time um today. I know you've uh, you've got a busy busy schedule on today, but um thank you for spending a bit of time with us and just give us a bit of a background on yourself and uh, Piper's farm and you can we're, we're going to delve a bit more into the the detail of that later, but um just give us a bit of an overview for, so people understand the the context and your expertise. Yeah, well,
3: thank you very much indeed for having me on. It is it was really exciting to catch up with Sally for the first time a few months ago because in a way that felt like one of the, the really important crossroads, if you like, on the journey of Piper's Farm because 32 years ago, Henry, my wife, and I um, had got two small children I was working with my dad rearing chickens for a high street chain. So mainstream industrial farming, if you like. But we realized that we weren't prepared to feed those chickens to our young children. And we can go into the detail of the reasons why later. But fundamentally, when you have small children, you are very conscious of what food you are putting into their small bodies so that was really the starting point of the Piper's Farm journey and 32 years later uh, we have a very exciting business where that little person who had just been born is now running the front end of a digitalized business nationwide online delivery but fundamentally It is about producing and supplying food to our customers, which we as farmers have absolute confidence in. And, you know, that's where we are today. But when people like Sally, whose focus is absolutely on health and nutrition and particularly a holistic view Of health yeah that for us feels like a really exciting partnership and
0: yeah hence i'm really thrilled to be with you guys today yeah and great for you to uh, to be here peter and um you know that everything you said there about uh dr sally bell is the same reason why this is her third time on uh, on our podcast so i wanted to just um Set the scene a little bit, and also think, open it up to you, Sally, to to help with that. This conversation, um, or just for um, uh, to be to being completely upfront, I and, and uh, understanding that at no point has. Um, has Peter sent us any free food to eat and that's why we do, or him sponsoring the pastor or anything like that, I have myself made orders uh, with Piper's Farm and tasted the delicious uh, food that comes with it and impressive with everything that goes into that. But um, that is from a chose-to-buy-the-produce the, the uh, myself. But, um, yeah, the conversation came, or one of the things that came about, Sally, Sally reached out with trying to... Um, highlight and raise some awareness around the um well i'll I'll let you go into the detail of it in a second around um the quality of of the food that potentially we're going to be that we are getting now and potentially how that may be affected by uh things like brexit in the uk but um, also a lot of people may have seen um, and if you haven't I recommend watching it if you've got netflix um a documentary called kiss the ground where they talk about um how we are potentially uh, ruining the planet, ruining uh, the crops and the topsoil, and one thing that really jumped out at me, and that was the fact that there is... uh, How we are currently going about our farming in general, uh, as a general view, obviously you guys at Pipers are not, and there are other regenerative farming methods and people going out there, but generally saying that there's only 60 harvests left, um, which I might still be around for, maybe, who knows. But, um, yeah, that, that was... That was shocking in itself, and um, one of the things that immediately when you reached out, Sally, to say, "Let's have this conversation," I was like, hundred percent, because this is raising this awareness of people's understanding of um, the health of what we're the health and longevity for ourselves, but then also the longevity of the planet and the Earth that we are living on and that is providing for us, and we want to be able to to maintain and, and um, improve both those two things.
1: Great. I mean, I think um, the headline here, if you're going to remember anything, is that the health of our soil is directly related to our own health. Like, it all starts in the soil. And let me explain a little bit about why I say that. I mean I've shared with you guys my journey before about how I just got sick of being a pharmaceutical vending machine within the medical institution and I got sick of treating diseases and not people and had started using this this framework where I was using nutrition and lifestyle to reverse disease and about a couple of years ago it really struck me that I hadn't looked far enough upstream and my big emphasis, and I've said this before with your followers, you know, I don't care whether you want to do vegan or paleo or gluten-free or dairy-free. At the end of the day, the thing that is going to impact our health nationally is getting off highly processed food and getting back to real food. Like that is the big message here. But what I realized is as I was encouraging people to get back to real food and back to Mm -hmm. cooking and back to the table, like I realized I hadn't looked far enough upstream and I hadn't, had no idea just how broken um, the farming system was. I had no idea how we farmed. I had no idea the importance of soil health. And so I started reading um, and to educate myself because I, I, I wanted to put good information into people's hands. And I was shocked at what I found. And, and as I was reading, I was struck like, gosh, all this stuff that I'm reading is in America and Australia and, and Zimbabwe. And I wanted to find out what was going on in the UK and find out what the British story was. And that's led me to um, go to Peter's Farm. And, I, and actually, I've been to many farms to find out what is going on in this country. Um, and again, I, kind of, I think the big headlines are is that, you know, intensive farming which we've been doing for the last sort of 50, 60 years, is one of the most destructive destructive forces on the planet in terms of the damage that it's doing to our climate, the damage that it's doing to our soil, the damage that it's doing to our water cycles, the biodiversity, but also the damage that it's doing to our health. Um, Because if nutrition isn't in the soil, it is not in our plants, it's not in Our meat and it's not in us. But more than that, the chemicals and the agrochemicals that we're using um, to grow our crops, to grow our vegetables, um, in how we raise our cattle and our chickens, you know, that eventually ends up in the food chain and ends up in us. And there is more and more really irrefutable evidence that these are driving disease and disrupting our hormones and um, creating disease in us. Um, But the really good news is, is that while farming is causing a problem, farming is also the solution, which I'm sure Peter can tell the story mm-hmm. of. And I have uh, discovered an incredible story of hope of amazing farmers that are farming differently and um, creating soil, creating water stability, creating nutrient nutrients in the soil, creating soil um, and creating food that nurtures not only our planet and can reverse climate change but can also um, give us nutrient dense clean food that's going to improve our brain health and our physical health so it really is you know for your guys followers we have some amazing discussions about what we should be eating but we haven't started to look and discuss the importance of asking the question of where our food is coming from that's my big spiel sorry
0: no i love it love it so Peter, from the farming perspective, why um, and we'll get into the very nitty-gritty in the, in the detail of it as we go through, but from a, from a top level perspective, why is it, um, why is it important that things and, and farming is done differently and what are the types of things that over the years that you've learned and that, that pipers are are doing differently and why is that so so important to all of us that are, are consum we're all consuming um, produce um, so it, it affects all of us.
3: Well, in a way, I think one of the phrases which Sally used, which is a very important spotlight on the problem, where she said she felt as a GP like a pharmaceutical vending machine. So effectively, human medicine has been taken down a path where drugs are the solution to the problem. And Agriculture, likewise, since the Second World War has gone down a very similar route. So, 30 years ago, when Henry and I had a young family, our focus on the current circumstances back then highlighted two specific problems. First, the industrial system of rearing chickens that I was doing with my dad meant the chickens were being kept alive by antibiotics. Now, even as a farmer, we recognized antibiotics was one of the greatest gifts mankind has ever been given. And here were we as young farmers pouring antibiotics into livestock, partly the industry believed antibiotics could be used as growth promoters to make the animals grow faster. But also, those antibiotics were being used to keep those animals just on the right side of the knife edge, which is how industrial farming exists. On one side of that line, there is Armageddon. There is complete implosion of the system because the chemicals, the drugs cannot hold its head above water. And on the other side of that line is where you've referred to effectively 60 harvest time, we have no farming system left. So it was a very stark insight for us into how unsustainable this system was The other really important thing was when I was a kid, all of the neighbouring farms in Kent where I was brought up were small family farms. By the mid-1980s, this industrial juggernaut of global farming systems had steamrolled those small farms. They'd gone. So when we moved to Devon, we were determined, A, to produce food we were happy to feed to our kids and to our customers. That's not complicated, but it's powerful. It pulls on your your gut as a farmer to do the right thing. But the second thing we wanted to do was help to sustain the incredible resource of the smaller-scale family farms where their ethos – has been handed down through successive generations. And with all the family farmers we work with, and we've built a jigsaw of about 30 family farmers down here in the southwest, with all those family farms, we say to the younger generation, come home, come back to your bit of landscape And do what your grandparents told you to do when you were sat on their knee. So if you like, back to the future, go back to a world before the food chain was dominated by six big corporations who make money out of selling drugs and running a system which is utterly dysfunctional and completely unsustainable
2: that's great peter thanks for that it's it it I've got a, a real affinity to this. My, my grandfather was a farmer. Uh, he, saw, he sold his farm in Nottingham in 1985. And, and I've got some, still some strong memories of a child of, of early years, growing up, going to feed the pigs, lamb in time, all of that sort of stuff. And, and my mum as well is also, she was, a, she was a very passionate farmer's daughter. And I would love to have this conversation with my granddad one day. But even speaking to my mum, I just wanted to pick out a few things that you, you mentioned there. When, when I asked her, like, what was it like back then growing up on a farm? Even now, she would say, like, chicken was a, was a treat. It was something that they had, like, that was actually Christmas sort of dinner, but it wasn't what they lived on day-to-day, week-to-week, which is now very much what a lot of people in health and fitness, it's chicken, it's chicken, it's chicken, it's all the time. Just roughly sort of what are your thoughts on, on, on that side of things of, of how our eating practices have changed and how the demand for different types of produce has changed um, with the sort of you know, industrialization of farming, as, as you said, And also, that time around antibiotics, I'm I'm guessing it probably wasn't... If my grandfather sold his farm in 1985, that was probably around the same sort of time. as When did you start Piper's Farm and and wanted to shift away from... The the farming industry was moving away from this small, local, family farm type of structure?
3: Well, um, the answer to the first question, in a way, sets the framework for the answer to the second. My um, great grandfather had started a chain of food shops in 1870. He opened his first shop in Atlantic Road in Brixton in London, and it was in response to the Industrial Revolution. His business grew very fast. He ended up with 230 shops spread across the south of England. My dad had to join that family business in 1952 because his brother had died And so his father had said, look, you've got to come in. When he came in, chicken was exactly as you described, something people ate very rarely, but it certainly might even have been a Christmas treat. But at the same time, immediately post-war in America, they had started to develop the concept of industrialized protein production. And the first species they worked on was chicken. In 1952, my dad went to the States and brought back the early stages. Now, his first two sheds of chickens on the little farm I was brought up on had 7,000 birds in each shed. And it took about 54 days to grow a four pound chicken. Fast forward the mid-1980s, so 1987 was when Henry and I moved back to Kent. My dad had five chicken houses, the original two 7,000 bird houses, but he had a 14,000, a 28,000, and a 38,000 bird house. And it took now 34 days to grow a four pound chicken. So, two things had happened relentlessly since the early post war years. The scientists had made chickens grow faster, and the industrialized, the industrialist number crunchers had said, we can cut our fixed cost per kilo by putting more and more chickens into a shed. Now, when my dad was alive, I said to him, you know, I'm staggered, Dad. This process seems relentless. And he said, yes, I cannot understand why nobody is challenging it. When I started it, I did not expect it just to be exponential. And now the exciting thing is that you guys and Sally are having this conversation and because of the internet, this information is now widely available and individual customers for the first time can start to challenge this industrial juggernaut which has just gone on. I mean, now it only takes 28 days to grow a chicken. And people wouldn't think of building a chicken house with less than 70,000 chickens in it. And up the road, half a mile from where I'm sitting now, is a factory processing a million and a half chickens a week. So the process of industrial protein production has just evolved relentlessly and chickens if you like are one good demonstration of that and just to sort of refer to the other point that you made about you know your mum wanting or or being so closely focused or, or related to your grandparents farming system we know There are thousands of farming families who would love to go back to farming in harmony with nature without all of the industrial inputs. And we as a business are saying, right, if we can let consumers know that is how your food should be produced, we will link together these amazing family farms, young blood back onto farms farming the way it was done 60 70 80 years
2: ago yeah i I love that that gave me goosebumps when you said that because (laughs) i could imagine my mum. my mum would be 100 percent on board with it like if she would just it's almost like they just need the opportunity so i'm definitely gonna i'm texted today to say i was having a conversation with a farmer so she'll definitely ask me later how it went
1: and i think um i think tim we just also we just need to make the point this isn't just about chickens it's the same if you how we're rearing our beef and our pigs, like we aren't feeding them what is their natural diet. If you look at beef, like they thrive and grow more slowly and and, um, produce better nutrient-dense meat if they're grown slowly and on pasture for life. Um, but we are feeding them with soy and grain. And we know the story about soy that we're cutting down the Amazon rainforest to grow it quick enough, um, as well okay. as all of the chemicals that are going and antibiotics that are being used into growing these animals. They... Like, um, you know it, it, it's it's across the board and you know I you, you go out around the countryside now and you rarely see a cow in the field you certainly don't often see pigs out and mm. and that's because they're all being pushed into these intensive farming units where it's indoors and um, they're being not fed their natural diet all in this drive to grow it quicker and get it to us um, quicker and, Sally, and I think uh,
0: Sally one other thing yeah. on because obviously that's all meat based but still the, the effect that the, the sort of mass farming is having on the topsoil, as they talked about in, that, um, in the Kiss the Ground documentary, that it's going to affect the nutrients that are in my carrots or my, my beloved potatoes or whatever it is else that's growing in the ground, right? Surely that is, is having an effect on everything that's being grown.
1: So there's the the meat story and the concern with the way that they're doing um, intensive farming with meat is having an impact on uh, the environment, the way we're growing it. But if you raise animals properly and the way nature intends, it can have a positive impact or a neutral impact on the carbon cycle. And then it's the same story with grain and it's the same story with our market gardening I've been around to um, a few places now looking at the grain story and it's that same thing where in order to produce an intense amount of grain um, the chemical companies that own most of the grain worldwide have created species genetically that grow quickly so if you look at the wheat story historically we would have had lots of different varieties of wheat um, and, um, and now we have the dwarf wheat and the dwarf wheat has very shallow roots and because of that the water doesn't get into the soil and these types of grains are, are created to be very dependent on fertilizers. So you've got all of the um, energy used to produce those fertilizers. And then they're also heavily dependent on pesticides and herbicides. We now know that glyphosate, you know, the Roundup, they actually use to spray 10 days before that they harvest the crop in order to help it to dry properly. And so, so, yes, that then is fed to us, and, and the concern is, one, the impact on the environment because of all of the inputs you know, to create these fertilisers, to create these herbicides and pesticides. These are destroying the biodiversity in the soil, tr- destroying the microbiome, the bacteria and the viruses that are in the soil that are so important for all life. Um, and then that is actually getting into the food chain. And I've talked to you guys before, like, oh, we are more bacteria than we are human. And we are consuming things that aimed at killing bacteria. And having this in our food is impacting our gut bacteria and as a result is impacting our health. Like it's a common sense thing. Like we need a cleaner um, a cleaner food chain in, in in our diet, so that we can be healthier. But actually, when you look at the the way people who are who are farming more traditionally or using. We use this term regenerative farming, which is sort of low chemical. Um, You know, it's all about the water cycle. It's all about um, biodiversity. It's all about the root structure. It's all about creating healthy soil. It's all about those plants taking carbon and putting it underground so it has a positive effect on the environment. And it's all about creating food that isn't full of chemicals. And then your second point about actually, you know, a carrot today compared to a carrot, 50 years ago, yes, there's good research that shows decade on decade, the density of nutrients in those produce is less because it's not in the soil. Um, And because bacteria and viruses, just as they're vital in our own gut, they're vital in the soil. like this whole communication system that trade with the plants and give them the nutrients they want. Um, And we're just destroying that structure um, and it's destroying the nutrient density of our food. So there's two things, lack of nutrient density plus the damaging chemicals that are in our diet that are impacting our health.
0: Yeah, And, and hence why we are becoming... More disease-ridden um, and unhealthy, despite the fact that we've got so much advances in everything else, like in terms of our medicine and our and our how we live, and we should be in a better situation. But we're yeah, yeah.
1: We're the sickest we've ever been, and we we have now fifty percent of our children by the time they're eighteen have a diagnosis. I mean, it's bonkers. One it's in two it of is. Us will have
0: fifty percent One by the time they're eighteen.
1: Yeah, by the time we're 18, one in two of us will have cancer in our lifetime. One in four of us as adults has sought help for our mental health in the last 12 months. One in five of us, by the time we're 50, will have heart disease. You know, we've got dementia and Alzheimer's rate rates just escalating. Like, we are crippled by chronic disease. And the issue is we know genetically, 10% is genetics, 90% is to do with our lifestyle decisions. And we cannot medicate that. Lifestyle diseases have life style solutions and we have Mm. to face up to actually we need to change the way we are living how we're sleeping moving and eating and where our food is coming from how we're connecting as communities that is the solution we cannot medicate it we have to create different rhythms and ways to live yeah and the amazing thing is like you go and see peter and it isn't just about how you produce food like you sit around his table you end up telling him all your secrets because there's just that sense (laughs) of family and community (laughs) and you know there's there's a richness these guys are not just about getting a product out to the nation they are about community and connection and people and you know our farmers the backbone of our nation and uh, and they need to be honored for that and we need to support them by buying from them not buying crap from overseas that is farmed really poorly we we need to you know change the way uh, we consume and change the way we eat and change the health of our nation by 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 the decisions we're making in our buying and people like Peter are making it accessible for us we have no excuse it's there.
0: Yeah we have so much um, choice now don't we like there's um, the internet opens that up and you know even actually the, the Covid situation has made everyone go online of everything so actually your choice now becomes you really do have a choice I think that we're also getting so much more educated and we're so much more aware through again, through the internet that allows um, people probably that wouldn't normally get heard, easily get heard, plus you've got all sorts of documentaries and stuff covering things, um, which just heighten that awareness and get people to... Yeah, to, to to question things and make up their own decisions. Uh, that so far we've just gave like such great. I've got so many. I had so many questions before <laughs> the podcast, and then I've got even more now. So I'm trying to make sure I keep to some sort of order. But that gives us so much context as to why this is so important. And the thing that's jumping out at me is going rather than the conversation. We've got like things are going to a different uh, more depth and more detail. So rather than it being a case of like I need to get my five a day in, we're going well you know as you just said that example of the carrot it was like well the carrot was one of your five a day but actually where I buy it from is going to potentially impact like my my question isn't what aisle in the supermarket are you going to are you spending all your time on the crisp aisle or are you going in the fruit and veg where are you getting your meat from? Like, what meat are you buying in the supermarket it's a question of like Where am I actually going to get these things so that I'm giving my body the best nutrients and the best chance it can to be as as healthy as possible? And So one of the questions I was wanting to ask, and that can uh, be interesting to get Peter's view on this as as well as yours, Sally, but um, supermarket, just back to meat for a second, like supermarket meat, um, I personally would have been in, when I was younger, like at uni for example, and it's your life situations are different, if I could have bought like three three packs of this for a tenner, it'd be like brilliant. Like the cheaper was the better option because I'd get more. Whereas now I where we ask the question, I and mean, Tim, were talking about this before we went live of um, rather than if something's really cheap, now it's a case of asking like, well, why is that so cheap? I don't want to buy the cheapest chicken or the cheapest beef because I'm questioning the quality of that. Um, so supermarket meat on a, I'm interested on a, Is it all the same or can we trust Marks and Spencers or can we trust Wait? if it's got a waitress, if it's from waitress, does that mean it and it's more expensive? Does that actually mean it's any better quality or is all the mass produced supermarket stuff exactly the same? And I I don't know if I'm supposed to mention actual chains or not, but I did. So there we go.
3: (laughs) I'm very happy to sort of give a perspective on that. you know, really, now is a time of incredible disruption. There needs to be a serious rethink because the industrialized systems of food production are completely dysfunctional. They, you know, they are unsustainable. So, I think. The, and our customers over the 30 years, we've learned one thing. They don't necessarily have a lot of money, but they've stopped to think, how do they get value? And we would always say the answer probably is eat less meat than you've been used to eating. Quantity in itself is not the way to go in terms of a balanced diet or balance in everything. But, but large quantities of meat are not necessarily a good part of a balanced diet. But people then need to really seek out the truth about how stuff has been produced. Because in a supermarket aisle, you can have labeling, you can have stimuli which make you um, make a shopping choice, which can be very superficial. And the big globalized industrial corporations are very good at putting marketing spend to a sort of veneer, if you like, on the top. While we were talking earlier, while, while Sally was, was um, talking about the nutritional consequences of the way food is produced, I just felt so strongly I can pick up a handful of the soil at Piper's Farm and in that handful there are more bacteria than human beings on the planet. So as a farmer, I must start to think, They are the most important resource on the farm. Hmm. And their job, it's very simple. They help to harness the energy of sunlight and moisture, which is photosynthesis, that builds food. That's nature's way.
0: Peter, do you test the soil for bacteria?
3: Well, yes, in lots of different ways. I mean, you can tell by... the the health of the soil by the root systems in the soil by Sally talked about infiltration rate, you know, how much it absorbs water. So these billions of bacteria and mycorrhizal fungi, they they demonstrate how active they are by the look of the soil and how healthy the roots are.
0: But
3: that is the most basic building block of food. Industrial food is produced by taking carbon out of the soil, the the surface of the planet, in the form of nitrogen fertilizer or natural gas converted to fertilizer. And then you're growing the sort of wheat Sally was talking about Mm -hmm. just by pouring nitrogen onto the surface. That's not farming. It's not food production. It's simply an industrial process of recycling, carbon which should have been left in the soil farming is harnessing the magic of that incredible microbial population density in the soil to absorb energy from the sun to build carbon and build food that is real and you don't need a lot of it you just need to put food in your body which actually does, it's a building block for our bodies. It, it chimes with, with the gut bacteria to do our body good rather than just being a big lump of an industrial
0: commodity. Okay. Yeah, there, was, there was one picture that will stay with me, I think, probably forever on the... On that um, Netflix documentary, *Kiss the Ground*, where the farmer that was doing sustainable farming um, out in America stood on the line, the edge of his um, farm that was literally next to the, the, the his neighbor's farm, and his was it was it almost like was like the Garden of Eden. It was just like this lush grass. It was like it was more. It was almost like a jungle more than uh, um, than anything else, and. Um, and then the camera panned literally over the fence and there was a straight line down and it was pretty much like a desert and it was, it was unbelievable to see the difference and it was like there's, there's the sort of mass, uh, mass farming sort of chemicals and, and, and all that and on the one side where it was desert and then on his the, the complete opposite and it was, um, it was unbelievable to see that um, and interestingly he he was claiming he was making per acre a um, hundred times more than the other farmer um, but by the by the how actually sustain not just it being sustainable but how he was able to grow this this diversity of things on on his farm as well, which um, as I say, for people, if they have got Netflix and they haven 't watched that i would and if you're interested in this type of thing, I would recommend it highly
3: yeah and I mean that 's the real problem no farmers have benefited from this industrialization in the last 30 years they the yeah. people the only people who've benefited from people buying cheap food are the industrial um, corporations who sell mm. the agrochemicals the fertilizers the genetics and so on so you, and
1: i think i think on that on that note as well it's not only the the farmers haven't benefited financially but it's cost them their health like if you look at the disease rate for ingrained farmers their mm-hmm. risk of parkinson's and mental health issues and alzheimer's is way higher than the the, the population from the handling really? of all
0: from the exposure
1: yeah. yeah from the exposure wow. and if you look at you know And look at the the cost to their health of exposure just acutely, because you have chronic exposure that leads to these longer term diseases, these longer term neurological issues. But acute exposure also costs them. Like, these are not safe things that we are putting into our soil. Um, You know, it destroys the the, the soil microbiome, but it's also, you know, having an impact on, on farmers' health as well before it even gets to us.
2: One thing I wanted you to, to touch on guys, and both of you can can answer on this one but um one thing that i I'm, I'm very conscious of around supermarkets as well is you you talked about sort of the power they hold over over people in terms of purchasing power. How did that? How does that relationship, Peter? I'll go to you first. Work with the farmers. I've heard horror stories of how supermarkets will manipulate independent small farms because they hold that kind of that that power over them in terms of the price that they pay for produce, not even being enough to cover what it costs to actually produce it.
3: Well, it's the problem of, of vertically integrating the supply chain, isn't it? it the globalized. Um, system of of the food supply chain, by being dominated by a very small number of big companies, they are relentlessly driving all of the links in those supply chains to seek out economies of scale. So they're simply saying to somebody who milks 120 cows, that's not enough we want you to have 150 and then 180 and then 200. And they drive them to get bigger and bigger and then squeeze the margin they're making on each unit. So it's a well-worn process that's been going on in the farming industry for the last 50 years. And one of the things that we so strongly believe in is... Linking and working with these families and saying, we want you to go back to farming in the way your grandparents did. And we work out with them a price that is viable for them to do that. And because we supply directly to the final consumer, we can say to them, look, this is a fair price for food to be produced in a way which means you are getting really good nutrition, uh, quite apart from you are part of helping to sustain the landscape. But that is why we've set up the business the way we have. We've linked smaller farmers directly with consumers, with customers. But of course, the main high street chains are part of this industrialised corporate structure, which relentlessly drives down the price, seeking to supply cheaper and cheaper food. But small farmers are literally wiped out in the process.
2: Sally, have you got anything on that one? I
1: think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think also as a cute consumer, it is it's really challenging like i'm you know busy mum of three my own business and working for the nhs and and you know sometimes your heart is you want to make good decisions and you find yourself in the supermarket and it is i think labels are really confusing and i and i um I, I, and, I, and it's just that thing again where we can't just tweak what we're doing in life we need to step back and i think the wonder of covid 19 is it has slowed a lot of us down to rethink how we do life and i agree with peter like it's actually getting to know the farmer it's actually you know going to these farm shops and asking them or you know going online and you know asking them how they produce the food but even then that's that's you know it's quite intimidating as a consumer like what do what do i ask like, you know but i was, and I, I was and gonna
0: think, oh sorry Tally, I, I was gonna i was one of my questions i was gonna ask you like what are the things we should be asking because yeah. you know uh, we've been in some local butchers or when we're you know you drop into places and i've asked before like um is it is this grass-fed like for the beef and yeah. have once been once the response has been well it's healthy if that's what you mean and yeah. it'd be like well am I asking the wrong question or are you just being awkward or do you actually not know sometimes it's a case of the don't know yeah. like what how do we how do we you know,
1: oh, th- I mean that is just a fantastic question. I'd love to hear Peter's response because I had a very similar experience where I started out this journey and I went into my butcher, into the farm shop, and I went, um, "Oh, can you just tell me what you feed your animals? Oh, they're in the farm, they're on the in the in the field, love, aren't they?" And then they all winked at each other and laughed at me, and then I thought, "Well, I'm never going to ask again." Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and some like people to- listening won't. They'll be like, "I ain't got time to research all of all of this." Like, um. I go to whatever shop and and I just buy whatever. I'm trying yeah. my best, but I...
1: Because like. yeah. cause organic can mean, you know, it can mean that there's there's no chemicals or limited amount of chemicals used in growing it, but it doesn't mean that the animal is fed its natural diet. It doesn't mean it's fed. Um, it doesn't mean it's reared outdoors. It doesn't mean, you know, well, it doesn't mean a whole host of things. And then grass-fed doesn't actually mean that the cattle is, is raised... To, 100% on grass it just means the majority of it, its food is grass and I've no idea what red tractor means and and so Peter what's your reflections I mean basic just buy from Peter but anyway <laughs> I can't say that <laughs> but so, I it's two
0: Peter, terms yeah uh, so what organic are your
1: reflections around labels yeah. and what are the questions we should be asking when we we meet our farmer or venture into a farm shop
3: well For us, it was relatively simple because when we took a step back in 1987 and thought, what does Piper's Farm stand for? Top of the list was we wanted to produce food that when people stuck it in their mouth, they thought, wow, I'm enjoying it. Because fundamentally, food should give people pleasure. So I taught myself to butcher with a frying pan beside me. So, Henry and I did all the different farming systems, different breeds of cattle and sheep and pigs, and then grew them at different stages, speeds, and then hung them for different lengths of time, and decided what made a difference to the pleasure somebody got from eating it. So, there's a passion there about Piper's Farm that has absolutely underpinned everything we've done. And... That's what really customers need to do. They need to find these farmers who've got that passion, who genuinely are farming in harmony with their landscape, but they're doing it because they believe in producing food that ultimately is exactly what most customers, right-minded customers, would want to put into their bodies. But it takes more research than just being palmed off by the butcher who says, oh, well, they're stuck out in the field, love. You know, ask the questions. Local suppliers are brilliant. Online is obviously helping people access local when they don't have people immediately around them. But if it is a local butcher you go into, you want to really ask searching questions. Tell me, what breed was it? What age was it? What's it eaten? Where was it killed? I want to know this food has been produced with a passion because that is the stuff I want to stick into my body. And yes, it takes a bit more time, but ultimately what is, what things in life are worth spending time on and value for money means that it is worth spending that bit of time quite apart from what it does to your body. That, Apparently cheap food is definitely not good value for money. And what might appear slightly more expensive when you go into everything that has gone into producing, you know, people are welcome to come to our farm anytime and they can go into the, the website and really dig deep into the detail. All of that information is what contributes the value for money. So it's it's
2: worth making the effort. Yeah, I think that's a really important mm. point that I wanted to, to discuss. It uh, was sort of coming towards the end of the, of, the, of the podcast, but I think supermarkets and large processed food production has, has massively or uh, has well, got to take a large responsibility for some of the health problems that, that Sally's mentioned but also for people's perception of value. So people are, are so used to paying lower prices or comparatively low prices maybe for for certain things in a supermarket. So it, it strikes me that there's almost like a bit of a journey that people need to go into in their minds or at least consider the, th- the three things and, and get away from seeing and comparing what the cost of food actually is from somewhere such as your farm, Peter, or some other producers that you might go and you might choose to buy from these small independent um Produce farmers, and, and don't compare that to what you can get in the in the in the aisles of a supermarket. Because you, as you say, you're factoring so much of that in, but you've also got you've got you've got to be thinking about price, quality of the, of the produce, but then also the sustainability issue. There's sort of three areas there which we should be thinking about when when buying. And people have, in my mind, and it's something that that we've been on a journey similar to Jacko mentioned before of trying to buy cheap and then starting to become a bit more aware of it, and then actually being happy to pay more for higher quality um, produce. But there's a, there's a that people need to go on uh, on on that journey I think to to actually accepting that that, that you're getting so much more for your money and that's why it's more expensive.
1: Hmm. Mm, And there's some just amazing stuff going on I mean I think my journey around the country has just filled me with hope like hope for our planet hope for our health and 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 I think you know there's a lot more initiatives in terms of route to market through the internet, where um, you know these smaller producers are either getting together or directly selling and and you know we're a generation where so i was just looking at some of the hashtags i follow on my phone regenerative farming agriculture regenerative farming movement know your farmer i've got all of these like on my phone and constantly you know they're popping up and mm. you can you can find out it's not massively inconvenient and once you've changed you know, you're buying practice, it's it's easy. You just reorder every week. It's it's okay. not difficult. And and um, it's just making that first step. And so one of my things, you know, if people follow me on social media is I've written about all these places that I visited, where to get your grain, where to get your market vegetables, different regenerative farming, different pasture fed. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear about their names and their families and, you know, how they love farming. And so, you know, I'm hoping that I can help some of your followers, you know, just connect with what's going on in the UK it is really exciting to be part of it and um, and there's just some amazing amazing stuff going on um, in our country so yeah just get some of those hashtags and see what's going on it's fabulous yeah and,
3: we'll and I, put, I think just just very briefly to say one of the things that we've been totally convinced of in our 30-year journey is we can't produce food in this way and then expect people to jump through lots of hoops to get it. So convenience has been absolutely critical to us mm. all the way through. So the result is people literally order off their phone from us you know, in the morning and say, I want it next day or, or whenever it's delivered to them. But it comes packed in individual portions so it's all frozen, they throw it in the freezer, but come home from work or come home from sport or whatever, want something really nutritious, quickly take a portion out, drop it in cool water, 10 minutes it's thawed. So that's the exciting world we're moving into where we want to give access to these sorts of ways of producing food but not expect people to have to go to you know, more lengths to make it less convenient for them than going to a supermarket, possibly shopping from us is more convenient than going to the supermarket. So, you know, as Sally says, yeah. it feels really exciting. The future we see of a revitalized landscape of a younger generation of farmers and entrepreneurs of all kinds out in the countryside as part of a really dynamic future, but at the heart of it is producing food in harmony with nature, and that really is that's proper
0: sustainability. Yeah, I can um, I can vouch as well for the say I've ordered from Piper's Farm before, and you know getting a delivery where um, it's a recyclable box. Obviously, it's cardboard, but then the um the ice packs inside and then it's 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 wrapped in wool which then is able to just put into our compost i think it was the right way round to do it, it was like just the whole the whole feel of it it was a sort of it, i had to give yourself a, almost like a bit of a round of applause a bit of a bravo for for what you for what you're doing there it is it is very impressive and and my sort of final sentiments um just relating to what you said um, Sally around it, it, I, I think I sort of made a comment that people might not might, might be feeling like oh, I haven't got time to do all this research. And what you're saying is that there is a lot of there's so much stuff out there, and that you've got a load of resources. We'll we'll share links in the show notes so people can click through to to find them. And something I'd written down before um, we started the podcast was that that we should care about our health, and we should care about where our food is coming from. And so if this is if this sort of messaging and you're listening to this and it's resonating with you and you want to, you do know you answer the question to that is like, do I care? And the answer is yes. Then um, you know, do spend a couple of minutes and, and do do delve into that and start to make well make your own decisions and your own choices but do it from an informed point of view because people like sally um the information on uh, peter's website piper's farm we'll share the links for that as well like there's so there is so much information right there for you um i did want to just finish with my final question of of a real take-home messages for people just touching back on that like what should we be looking for or because some of those questions that um the uh the pete said we should ask like you know if i go into my if i go into my butcher and ask him where was you where was this killed and he tells me i won't know if that's the right answer or not and so it was a bit more of a those classic things of um that we perhaps are a little i'm i'm personally a little bit more aware of that like sally you touched on a little bit of like that organic question um grass-fed like are we supposed to, are those things we're looking out for and with um with the with the chickens and our eggs, like free range, that'll be a sort of a, a common one that people will be aware of. But I have I've heard, I don't know if it's real or not, that uh to be classified as free range they just have to have a door open for an hour a day or something like that and they might not actually go outside. Like is there any is there any take home messages for people so that they can when they're in next time they're in a in a shop or in a you know, a local place or anything that they can things to look out for. Um, in terms of labelling or just stuff to help them make a better decision? Well,
3: I would say, I mean, read labels carefully because there can be some very deceptive um, headlines on a label which seem to be contradicted if you read the small print. But, you know, go as far as you can in terms of sourcing off somebody you know. So if the best you can do is discover it has actually been produced by a British farmer, that's good. Because at least you have a chance of saying, "Okay, I want to find out how that system operates because it's in this country. Ultimately, if you can connect with somebody as part of a sort of local supply chain, as it were, if it is a butcher and you say, I want to know who reared that, And he'll say, you know, tell him, I want the phone number. I want to go to that farm. I really want (laughs) to find out. Don't stop asking the questions because if you don't get the answers, we as farmers are simply not doing a good enough job. But because of the internet, you can get information, but you've just got to dig deep and don't stop. And if ever anybody has a really technical farming question Just get in touch with me direct. I would happily give you a
2: lifetime's farming experience to give you honest, truthful Mm -hmm. answers. Great. I've just got one one final thing and then we'll wrap it up. We, one thing I wrote down, it was probably another conversation that could go on for half an hour. So I'm going to ask you to, to give <laughs> us a bit of a, a very, very quick overview piece on this one. But the recent agricultural bill um, that, that was, has been discussed, I saw it flying around on social media a little bit. Is it something that people need to be sort of worried about? Well, obviously, but um, actively sort of engaged in. Is there anything people can do about that to have a positive impact? Or is it just, we're going to have to, or do we need to become more... Um, just confident and proactive about buying from specific sources so we can effectively rule out any potential lower quality produce making its way into our the food that we eat?
3: I, I think you can engage with your MP and, and read up on the ag bill. Definitely, it's important. It matters. But probably more important, ongoing, is when you're buying food, whether it's in a restaurant or whether from a shop, you really challenge the person who's supplying it to you to say, I want to know how this stuff has been produced. I want to understand the biology, the harmony of the way this food has been produced with nature because that, I know, is going to put the best possible health benefits into
2: my body. Great. Sally, final thoughts from you?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it really matters that we maintain our British standards around um, our food. And this whole bill is all about reducing those standards and uh, and kind of... Um, yeah, accepting lower, stand, lower food standards, lower farming standards. So it is really important. Um, and um, so I think the solution is, as Peter's just said, it, it is about buying British, it is about knowing your farmer, it is about asking questions and caring. Um, uh, if you are interested in terms of signing things, um, if you look on your Instagram and you look up farms to feed us, um, they're just a great little organisation that are talking about this at the moment, and they've got um, they've got something you can sign to support um, that petition, and and also they've got like um, what you need to ask your MP around it. So that's just a useful resource if that's if you want to be proactive in that way. Um, but yeah, I think that's. I haven't got anything else to add.
0: Well, thank you, thank you both so so much for you, for your time today and. And delving into this is probably in terms of our in terms of our our health as individuals and in terms of the the health and longevity of our sort of planet is one of the most important things that we've probably talked about on the podcast. and so thank you so much for both of you um would, where can you know where can people find you I'll, I'll go to you first sally um
1: so they can find me on social media as dr sally bell on the usual platforms and on my website dr have got loads of blogs loads of resources um, that people can have for free um and if they sign up for my newsletter i'm constantly drip feeding you know all these ideas of how to recover our health um, and they'll have some online teaching and webinars that people can buy um, in January 2021.
0: Great and we'll put some spe- you know you mentioned a couple of specific um, blog posts I think that we'll, we'll put the links directly to those as well as as well as the website um, and then Peter you, you said you know you're open to people getting in contact with you directly where's the best place to 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 make to ask some of those questions if they want to get in contact with you directly and where can they uh, where can they buy some of the beautiful food they have on offer
3: well pipersfarm.com is the online platform and then um i'm just peter at pipersfarm.com is my direct email so yeah I think the, the online platform has a lot of information. We try very hard to sort of take you into the day-to-day life of our farming world um, but uh, like I say don't hesitate to make direct contact
0: if there are specific questions you want to get answered. Great, and you, there, uh, pubs Farm got a beautiful Instagram account as well. Um, which I believe is is just at Piper's Farm. So we'll put the links to to both uh, Sally and Piper's Farm and Peter um, are all in the show notes. You can click straight through from there to uh, your desired destination. We just encourage you to uh, yeah take a bit of a deep dive into into this, and if it resonated with you, and hopefully you do, and, it, and you do care, and you do want to make um, make some changes and um, think differently about potentially where or how you currently shop and and eat. And uh, we can do that in a a positive way moving forward.
2: So I think we better just, yeah, let's sign off there because it's been such a, a great conversation. I've got so much to take away and think about. So I hope you've enjoyed it, but we'll leave it there for this week. And then until next time. Class dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up
0: probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts, so we really do appreciate that.
2: We hope you got a lot of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this, and give us a five star review. We like five stars. Four stars not as good. Keep it five stars. are the best. Five of your best stars, please. <laughs> and if you would like to find out more about the school of calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got head over to our virtual classroom you can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com, and that is where we have got literally possibly the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world it's
0: definitely the best one we've done and on that note until next week class dismissed